Hey, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to do away with decorum here and say simply, Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast is Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, Chapter 13, Mechanis Field, Part 2. Go! So we wrap up the scene here, glaring at Mechanis with uh, Fiora looking on and getting a red glow in our eyes in her eyes it's like the exact opposite of uh shulk's blue glow so is this like oh geez is this is this like a counter to shulk's future eyes is it it like anti-vision she gets to see all the things that won't happen it's so obvious after you say it wow because we see those flashing eyes on Shulk all the time. Not lately. So does she witness a future where like Goldflay slips on some bionis juice and falls to his death and she's just totally cool with it and is like, all right, I'm not going to tell him about that because it's anti-future. So the exact things that are not going to happen. Maybe Lady Maynith is imbuing Fiora with visions of how she wants to see things in the same way that fill in the blank is imbuing Shulk with visions that they want. No, I actually love that. That is not a place I went and it is totally on brand for where I should have gone with that. But I wanted to say something stupid instead. So props to you for drawing the probably correct conclusion on that one. It would be nice to see Lady Maynith manifesting something for us rather than her actions actions being told to us through Fiora in conversation. Definitely. New Zone. Mechanis Field. We walk into a clockwork metropolis of conveyor belts, enormous rotating gears, towering pipes, pillars, and crankshafts the size of skyscrapers, inexplicable metal furnishings, lamps pointed downward from hanging walkways. This place's colors are bronze, steel, and yellowy industrial lighting. This place has big verticality to it, so why is it called the Mechanis Field? Fields are not vertical. This is not a field. This is a grimdark version of Super Mario 64's Tick Tock Clock. Did you have a theory on why it's called field because i might have one but i want to hear yours first i do have a theory on why this is called the mechanis field okay so if you look at the silhouette of bionis excuse me the silhouette of mechanis one leg is vertical and one leg is one thigh is vertical and one is horizontal and bionis's thigh was horizontal and that was Gower Plains. Plains is kind of like a field. Now, the position in which Mechanis froze had this particular leg vertical. And so it would have been a field if it was frozen in a more horizontal position, but it's not. This is a clockwork tower. All right, I'm, I can see that. I'm going to give an explanation that I don't think is correct, but it's the one I'm going to go with. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. So throughout the process of exploring the zone, We'll elaborate on this a little more in detail, but I'll just say that you spend your time connecting electrical devices that were previously not connected or operational in the the area. Mm-hmm. Now, when you form an electronic circuit, you create a magnetic field, which is the process by which positively charged electrons are able to pass along the field to generate electricity. Ah, that definition of field. It wouldn't be a field when we entered it, but after we're done, there could be an electrical field 
passing through this leg. Now it begs the question, is this is this Mechonis' power generating hub or does every inch of its body have these uh, devices going through it? And also was Mechonis purposely turned off and we're kind of like rabble rousing here by connecting power back where we shouldn't have been like Egil was like alright we we want to do what we want to do so we're going to turn Mykonos off disconnect all of the electricity and we're kind of fucking with his 10,000 year old plan here by saying nope we're turning it all back on so I'm actually thinking that I'm completely wrong in that assessment and this is just a video game consideration and it's a pretty cool one at that I loved this area but maybe it'll have a stronger story implication later but i highly doubt it music is cool i'm getting big metroid prime vibes oh my god from this i put the same exact note shut up yes i i put the music is amazing it reminds me of the engaged yet passive enjoyment of playing metroid prime wow and it feels like a Metroid Prime zone too, doesn't it? Yeah, this one has just a the slightest hint of a little bit more Eastern progression and instrumentation in it, in that there's mm-hmm. something that sounds a little bit Eastern to it, but that quickly gives way about halfway through the track to uh, 80s worthy synth and those electronic sounds you'd expect to hear in a Metroid game that are they're atmospheric, but at the same time, clearly part of the musical track and not the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's a good jam. I dig it a lot. Is there a different battle music too here? Or is it the same as we had on the Fallen Arm? I think it depends on what you're fighting. You get different battle music. But I did want to say, here's something I found really interesting about the interior Mechonis music. Um, This is a huge tone shift from when we were in Sword Valley and in Galahad Fortress in terms of the music being played. And it kind of matches up with our character's perspective shift that I elaborated on earlier. We are no longer members of Bionis looking to attack Mechonis. We have different motivations. So um, instead of the hard, threatening, industrial warfare vibes that we previously had when we first entered the Mechonis space, I'm getting more like a sense of exploration and discovery and interest in this track. I'm not like feeling what's I, I can't even picture the word of I'm not feeling like the oppression of like an enemy force bearing down on me through this track. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like I am experiencing something completely new, especially to this game, because we haven't heard this style of music in the game before. So I think it's just like everything about this chapter is really kind of reinvigorating me because it's providing me new perspectives and new um, feelings about both the story, the tone, and the direction the game's taking. I agree with you. This zone is great. It is, the climbing format is very different than other zones we've experienced. The music is great, but the enemies are interesting, or at least they're named interesting. All right, so as you said, we ascend several levels by turning on power sources and switching on consoles to bring donut-shaped lifts down to our level to take us up to the next one. And you get a quest for it every time. So there is some hidden man doling out quests floating nearby um and uh in like the first case you get it the switch you need to flip is literally within eyesight when you get the quest so this invisible quest giver um, must have bought his glasses from the same guy as that dad in alchemoth who couldn't see his child 30 feet away (laughs) 
Right. Yes. Eventually we meet a garrisoned troop just past a bulkhead we open partway through the level and he instructs us to ride the ventilation shafts upwards. A blast of air throws us up to the next level very much like it did with the Bionis interior um, after climbing the statue face on the far side of the Satoral Marsh. Also the hot springs we rode in Valak Mountain. True. We are incredibly resilient to being rocketed at incredible speeds across great distances um one thing that's interesting about this zone is there are tons of mechon robots to fight that are large and imposing patrolling the walkways that you're traversing as you make your way through this it's not labyrinthine in that you can see where you're needing to go but the paths are not always connected and are not always straightforward so it's very interesting in that regard but a lot of these giant enemies will come uh, packaged with a climbable, like, maintenance walkway near them to where you can skip them if you jump down there and go around and then climb back up, which I found interesting. But for me, this is uh, the first time in a while the game's given me a good playable dungeon since, like, Galahad. Um, and uh, I was... Even that one was a little sparse for me on content, so mm -hmm. I tackle most of these enemies and objectives just head on instead of trying to find the special ladder that can get me to the button without fighting the pack of six mech on i just fight the pack of six mech on cool I, I imagine there are some blue orb pickups down there that you might want and also the world design i find pretty interesting because when we're connecting these power couplings and uh deploying shafts and different things to kind of it feels like we're linking up the whole area it's not just like turning on elevators there are pieces being connected and things fitting and electrical currents generating after we move items into place there's even walkways that it looks like as a coupling comes up and spins out of the ground like it's just part of the screw that propels it forward but we can use that screw-like indentation in it to transcend as a walkway so it's almost like there was no consideration made for Homs. this is a place where mechon can just fly around at will but we're still finding a mm. way to traverse it and it's really interesting to design it that way yeah that makes a lot of sense it reminds me not completely but it reminds me kind of like half-life 2 of where you're the environment is not designed for you but you're making it work anyway and it's it, it feels really satisfying to do so you know what let's hear some more metroid prime I also found an area called the Ether Gear Store. Did you find that one? Ether Gear Store. Maybe. That doesn't sound familiar all of a sudden. Yeah, so I'm wondering, can I buy sweet Mechanis merch and swag here? Maybe a metal face plushie, a shirt with an arrow and text that says, My face is up here. <laughs> can I get a butthead helmet as a Lenata honoring souvenir? Oh my god. Or maybe a big foam number one finger like you see at all the Packers football games. Except when I say finger, I mean McConaughey's finger. And when I say big, I mean a continentally big finger made out of foam that probably several civilizations could live under and make a society nearby. Instead, turns out the Ether Gear Store, there's just two Ether storing gears 
you know, the little pots we talked about that you can absorb ether from, mm -hmm. containing fire energy here. That's right, they call them gear, don't they? Yes, so that is the ether gear store. There's nothing to buy here, and I am incredibly disappointed by that. But they could have at least had, like, a, a well-tall action figure for me to spend a couple bucks on to tide me over. A couple bucks. There, there were plenty of those in uh, the little action figures you could find in Xenogears everywhere as souvenirs. You wouldn't buy it though, you would trade it for one wet mouse and one singing monkey and one spicy pineapple or, you know, things like that. Or a tweet tweet. <laughs> Fuzzy handcuffs. So as we, through this kind of first big area, get all the couplings linked up and elevators working, everything, all the electricity flowing, we open a massive gate to outside. Um, this, this door spans almost the height of the entire zone that opens up. Oh yeah, the bulk. Yep. And when you walk through it, you get a just the perfect gaze of Bionis. The same shot that I said that earlier as Bionis citizens, we had the Mechanis looming over us as a devilish figure. We now get their perspective of what they see every day from um, the the figure striking at them and you see this big grotesque spiked claw of a hand that is Bionis's hand and these wings stretching back it looks just as sinister as we once believed Mechanis looked to us when you perceive it through this like near perfect framing the door that we opened the gate is largely vertical and so is the figure you're looking at so it frames up the shot perfectly and so um it's just a perfect execution on monolithsoft's uh prior we've talked about how they really used the fully rotational camera and xenogears back then with highly limited processing power and gaming tech to still deliver an emotional experience through framing and uh, shot composition. And uh, they're still doing it to this day. I, I love this moment where I walked through that gate and that's what I saw. I didn't see Bionis when that gate opened up. You didn't? Mm, no, I didn't. Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying he wasn't there. I'm saying I didn't recognize it. Oh my goodness. Opens. You need after this is done, maybe I'll have you like look at a let's play and see if they comment on it or if they see what I see. I don't know. I just I had a moment. Like I was just I was totally geeking out to these moments of like seeing just the figures. Did I miss that? Shoot. Earlier on the wire and here with the gate, it was all it was all just like, damn, this game is killing it for me right now. We can find the hidden Machina refuge by strategically falling down a slope on the Mechanis exterior to catch a small foothold. This took me a few tries because missing the mark either means falling to your doom or crashing so hard that you die. It's another example of a the game introduces you to a slope and your characters just decide to run down it instead of maybe getting on their butt, using a weapon to etch into the side of the slope mm. and, you know, give a, a little bit of friction to their dissension here. Nope, they just go for it. And so uh, if you can hit that outcropping, good luck, but it is not easy. And you still maintain some momentum when you hit it to where like, you need to adjust fast, <laughs> otherwise you might shoot off the end of the the adequately hit outcropping, but still uh, overshoot it. Mm -hmm. Also, this slope 
Do you know what this giant slope is, Tyler? No. The area is listed as Great Battle Scar. So, oh, right. So I can kind of take that as being a incision or a cut in the side that this slope is not supposed to be here. And maybe that's why the Machina Refuge group is uh, able to kind of hide in there. It's like a, a blind spot in Mechanus' systems. A chink in the armor, like smog. My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws spears. The shock of my tail are thunderbolts. Yeah, maybe that's why the slope is so clean, like cut so precisely, because of the the titan-sized Minato um, must have shorn that, you know, uh, cut that with like laser-like precision, footholds notwithstanding. I have this down as thigh break, as in we're on the thigh and we're breaking at the thigh. I think we have this, I think we have this scene in the Hidden Machina Refuge, although this team likes to take breaks in the darndest of places. Uh, it is not in the Machina Refuge. No? No, the Machina Refuge is a secret location, actually. You get the golden award for discovering it. Yeah, I remember that, but I doubted myself because there are quest givers. Regardless, yeah. eventually we find... Maybe they did take a break at this stupid corner. Ryan is upset he can't ascend the Titan in a single zone. Although we ascended Bionis across, I don't know, 10 zones. Um, Fiora complains she's not used to her body. Dunbin says that when he was injured, Fiora took care of him, and now he's going to return the favor. Sharla struggles to take her rifle apart. Ryan assists because he's strong and is able to separate the two parts pretty well here he just kind of snaps it in half and it kind of is like dude do you know what you're doing before you just like rip that thing out of there i don't think so no typical ryan just jumping in and breaking something recall that this is gadolt's rifle and so she's using it as a you know to extend the memory of his disappearance uh he's with her all the time because she's firing his rifle thanks ryan doing a spot of maintenance yeah, the sighting's been a bit off lately. You know, Mikhail let us have some new parts. I could make you a new rifle if you want. Thanks, but I... I want to keep using this one for now. Shulk, get a clue, man. It's more than just a weapon to her. She can't just throw it away and get a new one. And we flash back to the siege on Colony 6, in which we witness a private conversation between her and Gadalt. Um, Gadalt speaks bold noble words about, uh, you know, defending the, the colony on behalf of everybody. Doesn't my man ever rest? <laughs> Not a chance. The lives of everyone in the colony rely on the defense force. He's doing target practice with his rifle, firing at Mechon husks to take out his anger, it looks like. My quote is, more people would have died if it wasn't for you. We lost 30 men and the fortress. My next comment is, oh, so Gadol didn't die slash disappear in the assault. Something happened afterwards because he was around to say in this conversation, we lost 30 men in the fortress. There's also a little plot here about how he's mad that they both died and they lost the fortress. But if they had died and kept the fortress, it would have mean that their deaths had meaning. Those men died for nothing. Would their deaths have meaning if we'd won? <sighs> Yes, at least they would have died for something. This is the end now. But that is kind of at odds with 
the philosophy of the party Sharla now is accompanied by. They don't accept deaths or find meaning in death. Um, they have bucked against that trend in several cases, and Ryan kind of steps in unknowing to what thoughts are filled in Charlotte's mind. He gives off some very Chad-like confidence, and uh, he says, no one's going to die, and that basically they're just going to miraculously kick ass and everything's going to work out, you know? So it's kind of, there's a complete juxtaposition of the Gadult memory and Ryan's current confidence and optimism on display here back into the present charlotte kind of tests ryan's compunction about dying nobly she asks him if he'll beat the mechons at any cost and he says he won't give his life he'll take down the mechon and he'll survive and like you said no one's going to die along the way do you want to beat the mechon of course what are you asking that for at any cost even if it means giving your own life giving my own life no way i can't do anything if i'm dead i'm going to take down the mechon and survive and there's no way i'm going to lose shulk Fiora or you along the way. Circling back to everybody, they ask, did you rest well? Yeah, I feel great, but nobody sleeps as usual. No surprises there. Um, there's a robot spying on us from a distance, and Dunbin spots it, but he doesn't say anything to the group about it. Dun's spider sense is tingling. I like Dun-Dun. I'm gonna stick with calling him Dun-Dun from now on. Dun-Dun. It's, I, I don't know, man. Ricky has, he's come a long way. I'm a fan now. I agree. I agree he has to. All I'll say is from that previous segment is I learned that apparently just sitting around somewhere is now making camp. So, you know, in college when you'd show up to your class just a little bit earlier because you had nothing better to do and you and your three friends were sitting outside the door waiting for the previous class to get out, you apparently were making camp. <laughs> That's the words they used for sitting around and talking about their bullshit. Do you have anything more you want to say before we get to the giant door? The other giant door? Giant door number two. Behind giant door number two. What's behind giant door number two? Oh, we have to activate two more power panels uh, this time to figure out. Not one power panel, but two on either side of the zone. The, the final door there is uh, guarded by a pack of five mechon. At multiple points during this dungeon, I've had situations where, this is a side note, by the way, but I think it still bears mentioning. I've had situations where the location that enemies aggro to me and approach me is where I fight them, right? I'm not, I'm not dragging them anywhere else. They want to fight me, they come and fight me, I attack them. I do nothing special, and 75% of the way through the fight, the enemies reset to their stationary point and just decide to refill their entire health bars. Oh, yeah. All except the one I'm actively attacking. I'm using AoE, I'm using all of my abilities, so there's no reason that the additional enemies should feel they're not actively in combat with me for some reason. <laughs> Has that happened to you at all? Or am I just this weird outlier? That's a weird outlier. Um, I haven't experienced that to my memory. But then again, I've been in so many fights in this game. If it did, it's, I, might, I might, have, might have had my memory wiped from it. Some of these fights are pretty chaotic, so you might not even notice it, but yeah. Also, I had a, for the majority of the dungeon, I had a party of Dunbin, Fiora, and Sharla. And towards the end, I switch in Shulk for Dunbin. And without needing to use special mechon killing weapons, I straight up just fit, like, I finish every fight two to three times faster. And so this dungeon kind of took forever for me. I'm calling it a dungeon. It's a 
zone, a field, whatever. To me, it's very dungeon-esque. Um, I agree. But everything just went way faster with Shulk empowering people to just use their regular weapons. The only problem is he's already got great relationships with several of the characters, so I have to like make that judgment of, do I want to build relationships or do I want to not have this take twice as long? I only use Shulk for an elite fight in which I needed to turn off an aura. Yeah. After we turn on those two panels you described, we reach an enormous door that opens from the center uh, across eight sides, like a like a growing octagon, like a sci-fi camera eye, slowly opens up. The vibe of this hallway is huge and foreboding. This is definitely boss arena vibes that this giant cavernous area at the top of the zone is giving me here. Right before that, we ride what is listed as the high velocity lift in the game. I'm just going to say it's not very high velocity. The elevator in the baseball stadium of Streets of Rage 2 is a high velocity lift. Um, <laughs> with the speed that eventually builds in that elevator and the rate at which the lights are blurring by at the end of your fights. Your characters should have achieved weightlessness and been well below the Earth's crust at that point. <laughs> but uh, that is an example of a high-velocity lift. This one is fairly slow, in my opinion. The long shaft you described is called the Zebrai. What? I thought that was an enemy. Like the single zebra. Zebra. Uh, look, hold, hold up. Google alert. Zebrai. Okay, I'm going through results. Uh, the... One, two, three, four, five, six, seventh results in Google searches. First Zebrai Bulkhead is the name of this area. All right. And it is the landmark in Xenoblade Chronicles on the fifth floor of the Mechanis Field. So uh, in our intro, that is where I got Zebrai from is the name of this shaft. So um, just think about that for a second. We ascended the thigh. We climbed the, the full distance of the thigh to arrive at a large shaft. Oh no. But it's empty. Thank God. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it there. Some of the party winds about being tired, then a shell explodes nearby in a green-faced mecha, well, a green-faced mechon, not a green-faced mechon, a green-faced mechon descends from above. We're in the battle of dueling faces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He has an eerie white face, and this guy's got a moving jaw. Like, it's got a hinge, and... No, 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 it does talk. And this guy's design looks a little derivative of Metal Face to me, because, like, when we looked at Zord and Nemesis and Goldface, all of those guys, they don't look like Metal Face. But this guy kind of does, just more basic and slim. Mm -hmm. Very comparable to Metal Face. Cockpit, chest, big yet slim arms and legs, wire-thin abdomen, and huge stylistic shoulder armaments that would make a prot warrior blush. I understood that reference. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that. I should say I live and breathe that reference. I've been playing a prot warrior for months in WoW Classic. Perfect. This uh, face mechon speaks to us. Just kind of saying like, oh, hey, you dodged or something like that. I can't really remember. You did well to evade me. Just what you'd expect from he who wields the Monado. That voice. 
We did a good job evading him, but we weren't evading shit. We didn't see him, we weren't making evasive maneuvers around him, but he's giving us credit for that action anyways. Ryan also gives us credit for that action, like, oh, nice vision, Shulk, and Shulk's like, it wasn't a vision, bro. So, I don't know, they, they didn't really resolve that, like, where are they going with that little dialogue thread there? Shulk gave the warning preemptively, not knowing what was about to happen. Maybe we're not even in the real world anymore. We're all living in Shulk's pseudo-vision dream world, where... <laughs> I can't even go... Ugh. Is he tweaked out on, uh, like, crystallized vision dust and he's just constantly in a vision? He's living, like, 30 seconds ahead of everyone else? Put down the Bionis Blast. <laughs> yes. We get a voice. We get speaking from um, this uh, face mech on, and Charlotte immediately says, That voice. Mm -hmm. He recognizes it. I'm glad that we're not going to spend three chapters dragging out melodrama and wondering. Remember how Dunbin spent like three chapters being like, oh my god, he, those moves, that <laughs> technique, is it, could it, could it, like, no, we don't do any of that. I'm glad that we put aside the anime bullshit for the time being and just characters immediately have the same intelligence level that we the players do. That's my fiance. Is she still down? That's the question. Down, down to pound. We're down to pound. We decide to fight him. It, it's a boss fight. And he roars and it's game on. But this is a pretty different boss fight, isn't it? Yeah, unique mechanics. I would like it until it got to the point where I hated it. The room is littered with normal enemies and carefully spaced out metal partitions. If you get in within line of sight of Jade Face, was that it? Emerald Face? It's Jade Face. Jade Face. This is highlighting that maybe there was a color-based face scheme before, but they kind of had to abandon it when they couldn't do blackface. Mm. So this is like a leftover remnant of the... Like maybe a, a Power Rangers or Voltron like face Mechon system. Oh my god, was Fiora white face? <laughs> I don't know. I want to look that up now. Close. Face Nemesis was Silverface and very much like the Black Wreckage on the Fallen Arm, Nemesis Face's wreckage was the Silver Wreckage on the Fallen Arm Beach. Uh, so what happens is. When the engagement begins, it's kind of like a gauntlet. It's a long, rectangular room with normal enemies and carefully spaced out metal partitions. And if you get within line of sight of Jade Face, he channels a laser blast ability that you need to dodge. And you'll dodge that by putting one of those metal partitions in between yourself and the boss. Um, and then they're kind of staggered along this gauntlet. And so you, you might be fighting a, an enemy um, while you're behind one of those partitions and then you'll run up to the next one being careful of the angle uh, you're running so that you don't get clipped by the laser after it's done channeling um, before you get to the next partition. Um, I'm not too sure why these normal enemies are here. Um, maybe they're just for powering up your triple attack meter, your you know revive ability meter, but it did fight a few of those. They weren't really particular to... didn't really play a, any enhancing synergistic role to the fight that I experienced. 
Um, but then, finally, when you get close enough to Jade Face, you begin a more conventional boss battle, and you dish about one-third of its health before the fight grinds to a halt. There was a lot of opportunity here to do something different, but it turned out that there were just two things about this fight that suck ass for me. Okay. One, every time he makes eye contact with you, you have to watch a cutscene or a vision of your character dying. <laughs> Two, your NPCs do not care about hiding the way you do. So Sharla, the chronically suicidal one, as always, seeks to gain distance from the various targets we encounter along the route to Jadeface and always walks out of cover in doing so, triggering a cutscene of her dying that I have to watch and then go and warn her to not die, except warning her only prompts her to use abilities, not to get the fuck out of the way. So there's nothing I can do about it in this situation. I just have to let her take the hits and move forward. It's funny that your marksman in the team is the one that's exceptionally bad at cover-based shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Charla never played Gears of War when she was a kid. So what's the deal? Are those satellites hooking up yet? Well, they're definitely buying each other drinks. These aren't chest high walls, they're full body high walls, so you can make the argument that she doesn't have a cover mechanic, but the wall covers your entire body. You just hide Charla. But I think it's more on brand for her. At least, I don't know, maybe in your game, she's much more conscious of the... What's the word? the fragility of life and the momentary blip we exist on this world. But in my mm -hmm. save file that is being loaded into my Nintendo Switch every time, I have a Sharla that cannot wait to pass on to the next plane and tries to at every <laughs> single chance. So that fight ends, um, Jade Face relents, and Sharla calls Gadol alt. Like I said, they're actually providing the characters with momentary intelligence to just move the plot forward. Also, Calling Gadult out, that's the calling Gadult out, that's hard to say. Um, that is the first time we have official recognition that that's who's inside the machine. Props to me back in episode four or something, calling that G Dog here will be inside a Gundam later in the game. Um, so Gadult, as expected, climbs out from the Mechon frame, and uh, he is now rocking, just like Mumkar, a metal body. He's even rocking the Kano metal eye with the red glowing pupil and silver skull shape. Uh, adorning that side of his face. Kano! 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 Charlotte makes a plea to, like, hey, you know, listen, stop, something, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Gettle responds, speaking to the party as if he has no connection with them as people, doesn't recognize them, doesn't have any confliction whatsoever. He is motivated only by his connection to Egil, and we even see flashes as if Egil is speaking directly through him. So his um, postulations about fixing the broken world and resetting the balance and all of those things, it's almost as if Egil is speaking and he's just parroting it through like a Wi-Fi connection or something here. Well, he's had his memory wiped, we suspect. And it seems like he's been completely robbed of his free will. So this is where I said this earlier in the chapter, but it begs the question if faces have lost their usefulness to Egil and they aren't even worthy of like being their own people or having freedom. This really says a lot about Egil's view of not just Bionis, but all denizens of Bionis that 
they're not really worthy of their existence as free people. I wonder if he's done this to any citizens of Mechanis whatsoever, or if at the very least, if he's in opposition with them or has problems, he doesn't impose his will on them. He just says, all right, you're off to the fallen arm or you're going to jail or something like that. I wonder if this is specifically treatment reserved just for Bionites, as I will call them. Or maybe the game calls them that. I don't know where I heard that. Is Bionite a term? that's used in the game the bionite order was the hyantia assassin cult right right i knew i heard that before so i think the 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 face mechon at this point just kind of hang around to be boss characters and story beats and emotional tugs but they don't really serve the purpose they had before i would expect some sort of upgrade to be made to them or something else other than just fodder but like i said they're the walmart backstock that you need to get rid of i think they're turning out to be a poor investment i think agil made a gamble on this new technology and it's just not panning out because the human excuse me the hom element is too chaotic for his purposes and now he needs to kind of rein them in and kind of and turn them into machines again. Machines being an analogy about wiping one's mind, you know, re removing their humanity. I mean, humanity, Sean Hannity. There's the, the final moment of the chapter. Geralt resumes his position as pilot of Jadeface and uh, fires off an attack which uh, is seemingly just a nuclear bomb or, or something like a, a small <laughs> giant explosion of some kind. And uh, Ryan dives in between Sharla and that explosion. I hope I left enough muscle gems on him when I upgraded his gear because he's uh, he's got a big one to weather here. Gadol fires the blast. Ryan covers Sharla with his body. However, Fiora's eyes go red again and a big red dust cloud envelops everything. Fade to black. End of chapter. Does Fiora have future altering powers, or does she take him to a different timeline? Fuck final, man. I thought we'd run into Vinaya this chapter, but we haven't yet. Maybe we pick her up in the next, right around the next corner here, but I bet she's got some answers for us. Yeah, and I guess I'm wrong in my prediction that we were going to get, like, a volcanic boundary area. Wasn't too far off, but I think that I'm technically wrong. We got more of a electrical systems wiring area mm -hmm. I, w I wasn't seeing like weapons or mechons being forged anywhere if i had seen that happening i would have said that i was right in my prediction but right we didn't get there thanks for joining us everybody this has been a production of hero with a thousand potions recorded on august 2nd or 3rd 2022 you can email us at hero with a thousand potions at gmail.com, one zero 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 potions as usual. You can also find us on Discord in a link that you can find in our podcast description. We also have a Twitter handle that I am neglecting. My name's Tyler. And I'm Nate. And Ricky like easy enemies. Yeah, that's my big brother. <laughs>
what's the current tally for people saying, oh, they look so much like you or they look so much like your wife? Uh, where is your child currently sitting on the scoreboard? The scoreboard is predominantly uh, marking tallies in my in my section of the scoreboard. Um, we think that she looks an awful lot like me. Now, Rose and I both have full lips, and so I guess we'll split the difference on that. I think Ella has Rose's nose. Rose's nose. Rose's nose. Rose's noses. And so uh, I'll concede that to her, but... Um, the facial structure, otherwise, the eyes and the brows and the forehead are looking like I did when I was uh, an infant. And so we think we're going to have a little female clone, Tyler, maybe. Nice. Mm -hmm. I was just at the cafeteria at uh, the Navy Exchange over the weekend and um, sitting, feeding my son with my wife. And the person who cuts his hair came up and said oh my gosh he looks so much like you to me <laughs> and then somebody else came up and said the exact same thing i'm like okay guys it, i get it and it, you you can lay off I, he is my son it is confirmed <laughs> it is confirmed uh also last weekend i went to a renaissance fair um, with ella as well she was a little fairy i was a scottish warrior and rose does this dark queen thing and um and you can't buy infant-sized fairy wings, so we got dog fairy wings. Fairy wings for dogs, and they work just as well on your little infant. And uh, it, it was cute. It's really cute. It was a good time. I wore a kilt. I have a, I have a purple kilt. Nice, nice. I took a date to the Renaissance Fair um, sometime back, and... After the whole thing was done, I got a text message where they said um, that that was the, the best date they'd ever been on in their entire life. <laughs> and uh, years later, I was talking to them and I was like, I hope you've gotten out there and had some better dates since then. Because, I mean, it, it's cool. The Renaissance Fair is great, but the best date ever, I I hope there's more experiences in your life since then. And they, they just laughed and told me I was hilarious, but... Uh, I don't know. I guess I'm a good dater. No, I don't know. I I have like a uh, casual dark humor. And it permeates everything he says. Should we get into this game? Have we been yammering enough? I'll let you trim this up. We're at nine minutes, so mm -hmm. I'll let you trim this up to your pleasure. Maybe toss some of these in the um, bonus section at the end. Trim to your pleasure. Yum. So shocked. Ah. Hmm. Really? <laughs> Confirming for you, it's over. Unless you're part of the Final Fantasy VII remake will boot. Unless you're part of the Final Fantasy VII remake will boot for verse. Remake will boot first. Unless you're part of the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII remake will boot first, in which point, God help you, because nothing means anything anymore. This is where I'm in a position of power, having just done the chapter a half hour before we started <laughs> recording. Yeah, what is it about JRPGs and onions? I don't. Is there is there a history there? Because there's the Onion Knight. From Final Fantasy. That would be a great mini episode. Yeah. An analysis of JRPGs and onions. Can we, oh my gosh. Can we get Pat Holloman to break down the onions for us and JRPGs? Yes. 
I think that would be great. That's our ultimate goal. We'll know we made it once we get a Pat Holman onion breakdown. Talent's overrated. It's gumption and hard work. Yeah, that's true. That's the difference. That's true. That's it's a big reason why I can't wait to. Whoops. Where did that go? <clears throat> that's true.